0: Well, please do open your Bibles again at Psalm 130, and let's just pray before we come to study it. Oh Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you moved uh, people in different times and in so many different ways to record words that would last forever uh, and speak to your people and to the world with power. And we pray, Lord, please, this evening, may we, may we learn from what you inspired David to write in this psalm, we ask. Please help us to understand it, aright, write, uh, and, and to be changed by it, we pray. Help us to, to look for lessons for our own lives in, in your word. Uh, in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Well, I, as I, I think I've probably intimated already. I, I've been wanting to get to grips with this psalm for some time. Um, and particularly uh, verse 4 which has often puzzled me um, and on the subject of the fear of the Lord and it might just possibly be that over the next few time visits that I have um, booked with you I might follow a series that is loosely connected with the theme of the fear of the Lord Um, not necessarily specifically on that but things that are related and around about that that subject which i think is really really important for us so for, for me at least anyway to to um to, to focus upon um, a good and uh, reverent <coughs> attitude to the lord our god but here verse verse four uh, there is there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared it's puzzling isn't it those of you who are still at school Think of the teacher you fear the most. If any, I mean, maybe you don't. But which one would you fear more than others, perhaps? Well, probably the the strictest one. Uh, Not necessarily one with the loudest voice, but the one with the strictest. Perhaps the one who... Look at verse 3. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Perhaps the one who... Notices everything you do that's wrong and remembers it. The strictest teacher, probably, is the one you fear the most, isn't it? And won't let you get away with anything. But some teachers, oh, you know, they're, they're a pushover. Um, <coughs> but some, you think, oh, they won't let you get away with anything. M- they mark, they mark, they note, notice and a note to remember everything you do wrong. It's not just teachers, of course. People in managerial positions all over. Um, sim- similarly, some people you fear more than others. And that fear might be good, healthy. It might actually be quite... Um, you, might corru- you might be corrupting. You might hate them. Wanna want to get one over on them. Pay them back. All sorts of things. This psalm, um, as you'll notice, you just glanced at it, is in is eight verses, and it's in four four blocks of two, what we call four stanzas. Each stanza has two verses in it. So verses one and two is one but stanza, three and four is another, five and six is another, and seven and eight is none. That's where it's set out in in this this translation and in and in many in that way. Um but I want, to start, I want to start with verses 3 and 4, um, because that is, after all, what particularly attracted me to it. And I, I had a theory about verse 4, which I tried out on someone uh, uh, several years ago now. Um, I tried it on someone who was a prison warder at Belmarsh Prison. No, he's not there anymore, but um, he worked at Belmarsh Prison, so he knew, you know, prisoners. And I said to him, I said to him, Does it make a difference to prisoners if if they've got life, a life sentence, with no possibility of uh, parole and no possibility of any improvement in their conditions going to a a less secure jail? And he said, absolutely. He said, those who have no no hope of good behaviour making anything better for them are the hardest to, to handle, because they have nothing to lose. And they, they don't... They fear, they fear the system, but they fight it, because they, have nothing, they can't, can't get any worse for them. They're at the bottom. They're at the most severe, strictest penalty, and they, they, there's nothing that's going to make any difference to them. And I thought, well, perhaps that is an element of what there is here. Um, there is forgiveness with God, so you may be feared correctly because you can, you can if you have no hope then you not only do you fear those who are holding you captive but you probably also hate them you hate them and you don't, you don't want you don't, there is no reason why you should seek to, to, to be good, to be well behaved or to try to appease them in any way at all um, and if there was no forgiveness with God How should we, if we believe in God, if we believe that he exists, if we believe that he is a judge who marks every sin, marks every iniquity, and there is no hope of forgiveness with him, how would we we feel toward him? We should still love him, of course, but we don't, because we're sinners. (laughs) We wouldn't. We would fear him, we would be in terror of him, and very likely would hate him, because there is absolutely nothing we can do, nothing we can do, to change our situation. The n- no hope, fear, perhaps mixed with with hatred. Well, that's as far as I got a few years ago, um, with I'm trying to understand this psalm, um, and I let it rest there for quite a time. But more recently, I've revisited it in my thinking, and I, I've. Uh, another insight into it, which I want to share with you this evening, and that is that forgiveness does not remove fear, but it does modify it. So we fear God in a different way when we're forgiven. Fear is actually a very, very healthy feeling, isn't it? It's a very, it's essential to life, really. You know, we t- we teach our children, those of us who are parents, to teach the fear things. You know, don't touch things that are hot. Um, from a very very young age, we, we teach that you know, it's hot, hot Don't touch that. Uh, one of the, one of the early things we teach, or you know, stairs. Don't don't fall down the stairs. Um, careful when you cross the road. To fear things, to have a healthy respect and fear for things, it is very very healthy emotion. But it is also, actually, often quite selfish. Even. When we fear for our loved one's benefit, there is often, at least a a component, often a large component of selfishness in that. Not only do we fear for their safety, but we fear for the effect upon ourselves if they suffer in some way. Not just because they are suffering and we feel for them, but we feel, what's it going to do to me if I lose that person? How am I going to feel? What's he going to do to my life, to my heart, to my emotions? There can be quite a large selfish component in the whole experience of fearing. But the fear of the Lord in a forgiven person can be absolutely selfless. I don't fear the Lord because of what he might do to me. Because he's forgiven me. I fear the Lord exclusively and completely because of who he is. Because of his greatness, his glory, his power, his majesty, uh, his strength, his wisdom, his knowledge. I fear him because of that. Not because I fear he will punish me. And there is no self-interest in this fear. It is all toward God. Um, my, My son... Uh, some years ago now, went on a... I don't know, I've that, maybe I've told you this story before, I'm not sure. He went on a, he went on a rugby tour to South Africa uh, a few years ago and they, you know, they went to training camps and they played a few matches and they did some touristy stuff. <coughs> and one of the touristy things he did, and have, ever you ever, have ever, any of you ever done this, he went in a shark cage. Have <laughs> you ever done that? Or want to? Um, which is when they go out in a boat into an ocean in an area that is shark infested and get into this cage, metal cage, and are lowered down over the side of the boat and the people throw in bits of meat to attract the sharks into the area and they can sort of see these sharks come at, it's a really close by. And, um, you know, you do that, you do that, you even pay people, you even pay, he, he even, no, actually, he didn't pay for that, I paid for that. Uh, um, uh, uh, but you pay, you pay for the privilege of, of doing this. Now, I would suggest that the cage makes an enormous difference to the whole experience, would you agree? Yes. You know, be lowered over the side of a boat in a shark-infested water with loads of raw meat thrown in. Um, without a cage, and you fear the sharks because of what they might do to you. Be lowered into the shark-infested waters in a cage, and you fear the sharks, but with no fear of what they might do to you. They cannot get you. But you still fear them. You fear them because it is just amazing to be so close to such powerful creatures to see them close up to see them feasting in a frenzy on on the meat it's so close to you you still fear them but there is no self preservation component in it you're safe, absolutely safe Um, but there's fear nevertheless isn't there that's not a perfect parallel but there are similarities I think between that and the f- fear of God, when you know you're forgiven, the, forgi- the fear of the unforgiven should be a fear of absolute terror. The, forgi- the fear of the forgiven person is a fear that doesn't make you flee, but makes you want to run toward to be to the pr- the privilege of n- the thinking of knowing. To being so close not to such a powerful creature as a shark but to such an all powerful creator to know him safely safely securely protected in Christ cleansed by his death clothed in his righteousness knowing that you are absolutely safe if you, O oh Lord, should mark um, iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? Says verse 3. Who could stand? You would, you, would, you would either... You know, let's try to answer that question. If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? What's the answer? No one. You would, you would either have to utterly fall on your face or, or turn and run. No, actually you couldn't get away. But you couldn't stand. That's one thing you couldn't do. You couldn't stand in front of God knowing he knows everything about you and there is no forgiveness. You, that's one thing you could never do. But of course there is one person who one exception to that, isn't there? one person one person who could do that and that's the Lord Jesus because he had no iniquities to be counted no sins to be counted oh that we could find a sense of the attractiveness to be close to this magnificent God and I think that's what we find in this psalm because all the movement in this psalm is is toward God and not away from him it's, it's to know him better to know his, his, his nearness and, and so I think probably let's say let's aim to change a self-centered fear into a selfless fear by being forgiven utter complete respect for God To change the fear that makes you flee into a fear that makes you follow. It changes from being an enemy of God into one who is eager to know God better. The fear that transforms hatred into humble worship. I want to look at the rest of the psalm now to um, to draw some lessons of how to do that. First of all, verses 1 and 2, trust God for forgiveness. Verses 1 and 2: Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. Clearly, the need that he is feeling and the need about which he is praying is the need for forgiveness. Verse 3 makes that so clear. If, you're, if, you're, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, hold you could stand. I'm calling out to you for mercy, Lord. Out of the depths I've cried to you, O Lord. Lord hear my voice let your voice your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications and there and it's extraordinary the extraordinary confidence here you know that he can say to god look please listen open your ears hear me i'm calling out for mercy there is confidence there that god would listen to him he's pleading with god for mercy because he believes that god can be and probably inspired by Such passages as as Exodus 34, verses 5 to 7, where we read this. Now the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him, that's with Moses there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And in that very short portion there, The name Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, is mentioned five times in a very (coughs) short space space of words. It is this, the Lord, the Lord, the true, one true and living God, the, the God who makes covenants and makes promises with people. And the same name, Lord, is used five times over in this psalm, strangely enough. Five times over. And so he is appealing to the character of God that is revealed here. the He revealed here the name of the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And it's upon that basis, Lord, it is to you I'm speaking. Lord, hear my prayer. Open your ears. Listen to what I'm saying. Please have mercy upon me and forgive me. Well, if the psalmist could have that confidence in his day and age, we should have far more confidence ourselves today, shouldn't we? Because we have seen that mercy in action in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is is the Lord, the Lord, the merciful, gracious and compassionate God, right here, right right with human beings, right with people, uh, talking to people. Of befriending people supporting encouraging people and ultimately dying for people to take away our sins we've seen this love and compassion in action fulfilled in the lord jesus christ and so we have <coughs> every reason to, to be confident that we can cry out to god oh lord have mercy upon me for you know, be who you are towards me be that forgiving gracious patient compassionate loving long-suffering god that you are towards me but let all that jesus did all that all that he lived all the good things he he did please may that be given to me Um, all the agony and darkness of his suffering please may that be for me that my sins would be carried by him we have, you know, we have every reason for confidence. I would say, please pray verses. If you haven't already, pray verses one and two, and get in the cage. You know, be safe, be forgiven, be untouchable by the by the wrath of God. Be untouchable by the justice of God, because it's all been sorted out already by the Lord Jesus Christ on your behalf. Have that. Make 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 that your prayer as well. Um, If we confess our sins, says the Apostle John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's committed to do it. He would be unfaithful if he didn't. He would be unjust if he didn't forgive us our sins as we appeal to him in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the God he is. The God of covenant, commitment, of promise to us. Let the the boldness of the psalmist be yours. From the depth of your heart, call upon God to open his ears and listen to you. So who could stand? Who could stand? Well, only Jesus could stand. But if you're in Christ, if you belong to him, then you can stand too. Because your sins have been rubbed out. Three at his baptism this was the, the, the voice from heaven said this this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased But three years later Jesus cried out my God, my God why have you forsaken me the difference is he was then carrying our sins he was manufacturing that cage for us to keep us safe forever And he did it with his own life. Second lesson here is this. Desire God more and more. Verses 5 to 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. Now here we really do see the movement towards God so strongly in these verses here he is not running away he, he is not fleeing he is, he is longing for God this God whom he fears but this God who has forgiven him at first I you know I, I made a huge mistake looking at these verses and I was thinking what's he, what's he waiting for? what's he waiting for God to do? you know is he waiting is he waiting for the, the consequences of his sin to be removed is he, is he waiting for God to overcome some problem for him? and then I kicked myself and I thought David you have missed the most important thing here just read what the words say don't add to them I wait for the Lord I wait for the Lord what's he waiting for I said waiting for the Lord to do what no 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 no. I don't say I'm waiting for the Lord to do something it's I'm waiting for the Lord himself I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. He's he's wanting wanting God. This God who has forgiven him. This God whom he therefore fears with a pure, pure fear. An unselfish fear. Not a self-disinterested fear. But a fear that is all about the greatness and the grandeur and the glory and the majesty of God himself. It's all about this wonderful, almighty creator all about him and my soul waits for him I want to to know him better I want to to feel his presence, I want to know his smile, I want to know his nearness I want to enjoy him I wait for the Lord, not longing for something God would give him, but waiting for God himself to know God close with him, himself and I would say let's look, can we take that on and we say, look, I'm not just asking God to do things for me. Yes, I will do that as well. Of course I will. But actually, my deepest need is not the things that God will give me, but is God himself. That's what I'm created for. To know God. To live with God. To live for God. And to know his nearness and his smile. To know God himself. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and we can see this, the ways in which he does, does this. First of all, in his word. Um, and in his word, I do hope. That's the second part of verse 5. As, as the psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verse 18, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. What is the most wonderful thing we see in the Bible? It's God. Isn't it? It's God. God in Christ, particularly. We see the, the, faith, the face of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And where do we see that? In his word. So where, where, do we, where do we long for God to appear to us? How do we do that? Well, in his word. And when you read the Bible, look for this amongst everything else you look for. Yes, you're going to look for ways to live, things to do, things to stop doing. Of course you are. But look for this as well. Lord, I look for you in this book. This book is about you. This book is about my Lord Jesus. And I long for you, I'm waiting for you, I want to know you better. And My hope is in your word. That's where I focus upon, because that's where I find you. Do you remember the days when we used to write letters to each other? (laughs) Does anybody here remember those? Some some of you won't have a clue what I'm talking about here. But you know about Christmas cards, don't you? You still still get a few Christmas cards through the post sometime in January or February. we still get those. And, and, you know, the first time you read it, you, you know, you perhaps there's a newsy letter or, or a Christmas card with a, with a bit of a, you know, an annual round-robin letter in it. And you say, oh, loads of news. Find out about the family or the friends, friends and who they are and everything else. Um, the first time you read it. But then you might reread it. It's from a special person. You might reread it. And you're not reading it the second time to find out news because you already know all of that. But the second time you read it, you read it because of who it's from. And it gives you a sense of them. And very, very special letters you might read over and over again. And you could always recite them from memory, but you still read them because you feel the nearness of the person, the loved one, who wrote them. Well, it's a bit like that with the Bible. You know, I mean, we learn something new every time we read it, don't we? But there's also that sense that you know, maybe some of you have read the Bible once a year for 100 years, have you? more, no, 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 perhaps not quite that long, but, you know, 50 years. And you know it ever so well. And you don't just read it to get more information. But you read it because it's God's book. And and your hope is in his word. And you long for him to step out of the pages. You long to know more of his character. You know, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, faithful long-suffering merciful God I long for you my hope is in your word but then there's another sense of it here it says my soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning yes more than those who watch for the morning well imagine you're on night shift watching over the city (laughs) or watching over the flock of sheep and and it's a cold night Uh, most nights get cold don't they even in the summer but and in and in desert places the nights can be very cold. Strangely, um, and you're waiting for the sun to rise. And that first glimmer of light over the eastern horizon. I'm not sure where that is, but let's say it's over there for sake of argument. I don't know. That, no, it's probably isn't. It's probably over there, is it? Over there. Yes, over there. Yeah. Um, i have sat now. Nowadays, so I haven't got a clue where I'm going. Um, but you wait, you're looking for that first glimmer of light in the darkness and that first touch of warmth in the cold wait I mean, for God as those who wait more than those who wait for the morning a little bit of light in the darkness a little bit of warmth in the cold and I long for God in that way the light in my darkness the warmth in the coldness of my heart I long for God in that. The only one who can really satisfy. The nearness, the reality, the life of God. Long for it. Long for it. Can we long for God like that? Lord, this world is so dark. There's so much ignorance. In in me, there is so much waywardness. I long for you. I long for the light. Long for it. I'm so cold of heart, I long for the warmth of the nearness of God. But then there's another way, of course, in which the watchman waits for the morning. He waits with confidence, is not he? He's going to come, the sun will rise, the sun will rise. Just another, another hour long, but another hour more and the sun will be up. And we wait for God with confidence. Faithful God, unchanging God wait for the Lord. Back in the psalmist's time, of course, he was waiting for the Messiah to come. Well, now we are waiting for the Messiah to return. And he will. And it will be like morning. The best morning ever. This dark world will be flooded with light when he returns. To give you an example of the difference um, that it makes between being forgiven and being unforgiven and forgiven, Think Simon Peter. That's why, I, that's why I read that portion from Luke chapter 5. Do you remember it? They hadn't caught any fish. Jesus said, throw your nets in, and they caught massive catch of fish. And can you, you know, you can hear the cogs going around in Peter's brain. How did Jesus know the fish were there? I can't see them through the shiny surface of the sea. But he can. He knew they were there. And we caught them. Oh Lord, what can you see in me that I keep hidden from everybody else? What can you see in me that I don't want even to face myself? And what did he say? Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now there is the fear that makes you flee. A bit difficult in a boat, but that that was his heart, wasn't it? Lord, I I can't be in this boat with you because you know what's in my heart. You know who I am. Go away, please, go away. Just go away. I can't bear it. I cannot stand. I cannot stand this. Contrast that with Peter after he'd been forgiven and when he wrote the verse I started the service with. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to what's the next word? Yeah. He might bring us to God. See the difference? Depart. Bring us to God. (laughs) Absolutely the opposite of one another, aren't they? and that's the difference between being forgiven and not being forgiven doesn't mean Peter didn't fear the Lord anymore of course he did but with a pure uh, unselfish disinterested fear that's totally in who God is lastly and very quickly let personal prayer lead to public proclamation the psalm starts with praying for himself to be forgiven and it finishes with an appeal to the nation to turn to the Lord as well. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy. With him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. It starts with seeking personal forgiveness. It ends with urging the whole nation to do the same, because God is forgiving. Abundant redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The more we sense our forgiveness, the more we enjoy the love of God, the presence of God, the warmth and the light of God's nearness, the more surely we must want other people to share it. And that's exactly what the psalmist did. You see, all the movement is towards towards God. All. This is a fear that attracts, it's a fear that wants to be near to this awesome creator know his tenderness and his nearness, and wants other people, invites other people into it as well. So seek God for forgiveness. Seek God for himself. And seek other people for God. The three big lessons, I think, from this psalm. I've chosen this last last hymn um, for us to sing, particularly for verse 3. Oh, how I fear you, living God, with deepest, tenderest fears, and worship you with trembling hope and penitential tears. Oh, how I fear you, living God, with deepest, tenderest fears. Change from the fear of the unforgiven to the deepest, tenderest fears of the forgiven.